0: following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, we are about four weeks now. Not about four weeks. We're exactly four weeks. This is the fourth week of this series called Being Christian, which is based on the book by the same title by Archbishop Rowan Williams. And um, this is a book about the essentials of Christian life. A really good one, too. Uh, And I know that many of you have been reading along with us uh, these past four weeks. I've been seeing you post quotes from the book on Facebook and that kind of thing. It's been really fun. But let me say a few words to those of you who have not been reading along with us. Um, maybe it's your first time here and you thought, I didn't know there was homework and all that. Uh, we don't want you to feel that way. Number one is that even, even though this is the fourth and ch- final chapter of the book, um, I would encourage you to get the book and read it. It's really good. It's a very easy read and I think you probably will enjoy it. And number two is, um, our hope, of course, is that you don't have to have read it uh, in order to get something out of the message that I'm about to give. No, that is not a promise that you will get anything out of the message that I'm about to give. I'm just saying that uh, not having read the book won't be a barrier to a message that, you, that I'm about to give. Um, <laughs> so, we, uh, by the way, it's back in stock at Amazon, Artisan Church like cleared it out of Amazon and it was not available for sale. So if you tried to get it and it was sold out, sorry, and it's back. So um, go get it. So it's a book about uh, the Christian essentials. And the last Christian essential for us in this book is prayer. And in particular, the need to grow in prayer. So by show of hands, those of you who are Christians or, or who pray, even if you're not a Christian, Of those of you in the room who pray, how many of you would like to grow in prayer? Show of hands. All right, I see almost every hand in the room. How many of you don't raise your hand when the pastor asks for a show of hands there? Okay, there's the rest of you. Yep. So we pretty much all want to grow in prayer, if we pray at all. We want to grow in prayer. It's it's sort of like if I'd asked you, how many of you would like to eat better? Real controversial question. How many of you wish you could, you know, you exercised more or something like that? We sort of all want to do these things. But the, the, the gap between wanting to do it and actually doing it is the problem with life, isn't it? So this chapter is going to be about growing in prayer. And um, I'll tell you how he structures the chapter because that's how I'm going to structure the sermon. What he does first is gives an overview of the purpose of prayer, the spirit of prayer, uh, the, the raison d'etre. for pr- you know, like what, what is the basis, what's the most fundamental part, idea of prayer? Um, and then... And I knew I loved this book for a reason. He turns to the church fathers. You know me, anything that goes back to the early church, I love. One of Artisan's foundational values is roots, and he goes way back into the roots of the church to talk about prayer, um, mostly by talking about the Lord's Prayer, which is how the early church started every time they talked about prayer. And we've kind of invited, or uh, excuse me, invented all kinds of new starting places for prayer because we want something new, because you, you kind of have to have something new if you want to sell a book. Um, but the early church basically always started where Jesus started, which is the, the prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer, our Father. Uh, and so he's going to turn to three church fathers for three observations. Well, there's more than three, but I'm going to limit myself to three so that we can all go have lunch. Um, and my hope, though, is that the insight that he finds that I pass on to you, if you haven't read it, from these three church fathers will, will um, kind of dovetail with the first part, which is the as I said, the big overview, the purpose, the spirit of prayer. All right. And by the way, last thing before I get into it, this chapter, I'll just tell you, was the one of the four that for me was the most personally meaningful, that I, I, I said, oh, I needed that the most. Right? I liked the whole book. I've been telling you week after week that I love this book. But this chapter for me was just kind of right where I needed it to be. And um, I don't know if that's going to make what follows Better or worse, but uh, there it is. Now you know that's where that's where I was. I needed to, I needed to work on prayer. I needed something to help me break through a, a kind of a logjam in prayer. And this chapter, I think, uh, provided it for me. So I, maybe it will provide it for you as well. Before we dive into the book, I want to turn to Scripture. There's a passage from Galatians 4, which I think will be a, a wonderful foundation for... Um, What I'm about to talk about. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. When the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. Because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba just meaning... It's an affectionate word for father, sort of like dad. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. That beautiful promise of Scripture is foundational for for what I want to talk about this morning. So let's start where Rowan Williams starts, which is the the purpose of prayer, the spirit of prayer, by which I mean the... um, the posture that we should start with in prayer, and, and I think posture is probably the wrong word because it's not about how you arrange your body physically. It's more of like a uh, an internal posture. That, you know, it's it's a, a sense of who you are and and um, who you want to be. That's foundational to this idea of prayer. Right out of the gate in this chapter, he says that growing in prayer is not simply acquiring a set of special spiritual skills that operate in one bit of your life. And I'm going to pause and interrupt him there because I think um, there's a common assumption among Christians and among uh, spiritually curious people generally that The way to grow in your spiritual life, if we want to grow in prayer or whatever other spiritual part of our spiritual life we want to grow in, the way to do it is to work harder. The way to grow in your spiritual life is to do more or to do better. And it's not that trying to do more or working harder at it or trying to do better things is a bad idea. All, that's great. If if, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to try to try to work harder at spiritual disciplines, I encourage that. I think it's a good idea. We all actually should do that. But this is an important distinction. That kind of ratcheting up the furiousness, furiousness with which we work at our spiritual lives is not the way to grow in prayer. Do you see the difference? And growth in prayer comes from something else entirely. So he goes on. Growing in prayer is not simply acquiring a set of special spiritual skills that operate in one bit of your life. It's about growing into what St. Paul calls the measure of the full stature of Christ. Here he's quoting Ephesians 4.13. It's about growing in Christian humanity. Now these two phrases, growing in the measure of the full stature of Christ and growing in Christian humanity, these are kind of wordy, abstract things. We're going to unpack them because... They are where it's at. Um, Because these are things that shape and form our identity. See, growing in prayer is not a question of skill. It's a question of identity. It's specifically about our identity in Christ. And in many ways, that means that it's actually quite a lot harder Because, unfortunately, it means that there's not going to be three simple steps to, a, a, to growth in your prayer life, right? There's, there's no three simple steps to growing in the measure of the full stature of Christ. There's no three simple steps to uh, coming to understand humanity as a whole from a Christian perspective. That's not the kind of thing that you can just, you know, get a booklet about and just learn it overnight or over a weekend, it sounds to me suspiciously like the kind of thing that you're going to work at for the rest of your life. I don't want to work at anything for the rest of my life. I want three simple steps to a better prayer life. That might be a good book title, but it's not the way to growth. But what is the good news about this is that if we do grow in the stature of Christ and if we do go into a more Christian humanity, then we have a new way to talk to God, which is, of course, the most simple definition of prayer. And the way we can talk to God if we grow into the stature of Christ and into a Christian humanity is as God's children. Do you remember the verse that I read from Galatians 4? God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God has sent the Spirit of His Son, the Spirit of Jesus, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What does that mean if Jesus is... I mean, this, is this is like a little uh, you know, weird sort of physical slash spiritual integration here. But if Jesus is in your heart, crying out to God, Abba, Father... It's like Jesus is praying in you to God. He's praying on your behalf. He's praying for you to God. That's exactly how Rowan Williams describes it. When Jesus prays in us. You know, we think of prayer as something that maybe is mediated by Jesus sometimes. We, we have um, all the things that we want from God and then we say, in Jesus' name, <laughs> amen right? How many of you prayed that prayer? Dear Lord, please give me some chocolate cake in Jesus' name. Amen. Right? Chocolate cake is a metaphor? (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's not. I probably prayed for literal chocolate cake once or twice in my life. But if, if God sends the spirit of Jesus into our hearts so that from that place, he can cry out to the Father, well, that's an entirely different understanding of what prayer is, isn't it? And what it means is that if we are growing in Christ, our, our prayers become an outpouring of his heart and his will. He says, uh, in a nutshell, and he's so, he's so British. Some of the quotes, you can just tell he's British. right? In a nutshell... Prayer is letting Jesus pray in you and beginning that lengthy and often very tough process by which our selfish thoughts and ideals and hopes are gradually aligned with His eternal action. Gradually. Not overnight. Not in the course of a weekend. Not in three simple steps. Did you hear what He said? I say a lifelong process. He says the lengthy and often very tough process. That's even worse. We don't want lengthy. We don't want very tough. We want quick. It's not how it works with prayer. And so if you have been struggling to pray better or pray more, and you're beating yourself up over this, why can't I just do a better job? Maybe the problem is with the fact that you want to just do a better job rather than wanting to have your heart and your mind transformed. Prayer is not about doing a better job. It's not about learning a new skill. Growing in prayer is not about acquiring a different methodology. It's about acquiring a different identity. It's about having your heart and your mind transformed into the likeness of Christ. And you, if you can get into this this, this stream of goodness and beauty, it becomes a virtuous cycle where... The more your hearts and minds are transformed, the more you'll be able to say that Jesus is praying in you and through you. And the more Jesus prays in you and through you, the more your hearts and minds become transformed. And you see how it kind of just keeps going, and it builds and builds. So this is the purpose. This is the spirit. This is the foundational concept about prayer, that prayer is aligning ourselves with Jesus and allowing Jesus to align himself with us. And we, it's, it's imperative that we get that first, because otherwise, all the practical stuff, uh, none of it's going to take root. All the little techniques and tricks for prayer, they won't last. They will not have any, any roots. And, by the way, whatever gains we might make in the practice of prayer will be at risk of corruption. How could I possibly say that if you make gains in the practice of prayer, that could be corrupted. Well, look around, my friends. Have you ever met anybody in your wanderings through the church or through the world who clearly had spent lots and lots of time praying, but who was kind of an awful person? Have you ever met somebody, relatedly, by the way, who knows the Bible backwards and forwards in seven different languages, but exhibits no fruit of the Spirit? (laughs) I'm sorry to say that some of the people I've met in this life who know the Bible the best are the meanest people I've ever met. That's, I'm, it's not, I'm, saying that, I'm not saying there's a correlation. I'm not saying, be nice, don't read the Bible. <laughs> I'm just saying that it's not, a, it's not necessarily a pathway to niceness, to kindness, to gentleness, to self-control, to goodness, to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the same is true of prayer. If you work and work and work and work at it, you might get better at it. But the results of it are not going to be holy and pure and true and good. I can promise you, if you work at growing in the stature of the fullness of Christ, if you work on developing a Christian humanity, that bears fruit, whether or not your skill set improves. So, it's imperative that we get this first. That prayer is aligning ourselves with Jesus and allowing Jesus to align himself with us. Everything that follows has to start there. Now, the rest of the chapter deals with, um, mostly with the Lord's Prayer, which is fitting. Think of how the Lord's Prayer begins. I tipped it a little a minute ago. How many of you can tell me the first words of the Lord's Prayer? Shout it out. Our Father. We all know this. It's even called the Our Father in some traditions. If the spirit is Christ, of, of Christ is in us, crying on our behalf, Abba, Father, to God, then that makes us children of God. And it, would be, it couldn't be more right for us to begin our prayer with our Father. And all of the early Christians, as I mentioned a moment ago, started their teaching on prayer with the Lord's Prayer. So, in the interest of time, what I'm going to do is pull out one small observation from each of the three early church fathers that Rowan Williams refers to in this book. And I would encourage you, once again, if you haven't read this chapter, read it. And then at the end of the book, there's a little bibliography where you can go and find the original writings from these three church fathers. And I would encourage you to read that too. Because I have to tell you, they were closer to Jesus... (laughs) Just in time, it's, not, it's like a fact. They're closer to Jesus. They're. <laughs> um, and there's lots of great modern and postmodern even authors writing about the Christian life, but the ones who are closer to Jesus are really worth your time. If you haven't spent any time reading them, you, you should. And he has some good recommendations at the back of the book for where to go. But I'm going to pull out one observation from each of them, each one about a, a phrase of the Lord's Prayer. And... Um, My guess is, and certainly my hope is, that you will hear echoes of this primary thing, the idea of aligning ourselves with Jesus and uh, being formed into his identity in all that they say. So it it should all fit together. Let's start with Origen, one of the great church fathers. Origen, G-E-N at the end, not like origin of the species, but origin. And um, the phrase that he pulls out is this one from the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Now, if you, like me, were raised in the church, you've said the Lord's Prayer from memory hundreds of times. And you've said this phrase, probably with the the old-fashioned language, Thy will be done on earth as in heaven, lots and lots and lots of times. Have you ever been a little bit puzzled by it? I have been a little bit puzzled by it sometimes. Have you ever wondered, why are we asking God to do what's already God's will? Why are we asking God to do what God is already going to do? Furthermore, if God already knows what we're going to ask, why are we, why are we bothering at all? <laughs> have you ever asked that question? Yes. We, most of us who spend any time in prayer have asked this question. We are addressing uh, an omnipotent, omniscient God, and it, isn't it a little bit academic? <laughs> well, Origen has a good answer to that. Rowan Williams says, as good an answer as anyone has ever given, and I'm inclined to agree with him. And here's the answer that Origen gives God knows, of course, what we are going to say and do, but God has decided that he will work out his purposes through what we decide to say and do. Now, that is heavy. That is heavy. Because that means we all bear a responsibility for bringing about God's will. That means we have to pray with our feet sometimes. You know, I think the way we wish this... I think what we wish this meant is, Thy will be done, Lord. I'm going to watch Netflix. Please, while I'm watching season two of Master of None, could you... Bring about your will on earth as it is in heaven, because I would really like to see that. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's not what it turns out to mean. What it actually ought to mean for us is, Thy will be done, Lord, and use me. Thy will be done, and I am part of it. Because my soul, my heart, my mind are aligned with your son Jesus. And his purposes in the world are now my purposes in the world. And his work in the world is now my work in the world. I have this little theory. I don't know if it's entirely theologically sound. um, But let me put it out there for you. That the reason Christ doesn't just return and And fix everything and remake the world new heavens, new earth, all the things that we read about and hope for is because we are too lazy (laughs) and that we have to get to work making that reality become the truth for us because that's the way God works that God doesn't actually get anything done except when his people say yes, I will do it Because if you say no, because you're watching Netflix or playing Sega or whatever it might be, God goes on to the next person, and that person might be too busy too. That's your will, Lord? Good luck. If everybody says no, how does it get done? And then, in another quintessentially British-ism, he says, Rowan Williams, so you'd better get on with it. as you and your prayer are part of God's overall purpose for the situation in which he's going to work. Hmm. So that's origin, and that's thy will be done on earth as in heaven. The next one is Gregory. Now, which Gregory? I know you're all dying to know because you're all saying to yourselves, I know there's two St. Gregories from the early church, the Cappadocian Fathers, right? Yeah, I mean, are you talking, Pastor, about Gregory of Nazianzus? And no. No, I'm not. I'm talking about Gregory of Nyssa. Which you would have been come, we come clear to you as soon as I quoted him, I realized. But it's not, not, everybody, not everybody is as much a church history nerd as most of you are. So Gregory of Nyssa deals with the phrase from the Lord's Prayer, Give us this day our daily bread. Now, in all the hundreds of times that I've prayed, Give us this day our daily bread, I've thought of the pronoun as meaning one thing. Give us this day. Our daily bread. Who is us? Who is, which, which, which hour? Well, it's my family. That's where I eat my daily bread. That's where I eat, with my family. So if I'm praying for our daily bread, it must be for my family, for our comfort, for our sustenance. But actually, no, Gregory says. The bread of God that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, to quote St. John's Gospel, is everybody's bread. I am asking for bread for everyone. When you pray, give us this day our daily bread. The us and the our is everyone. There ought to be. And then he goes on to say this, which is really painful, and I wish that he would not have said it. I receive my daily bread when no one is made poor because I am rich. Um, I don't like that one very much that my comfort and my safety is not actually the most important thing to God and in some ways it might actually be true that the more comfortable and safe and fat I get the less somebody else has now as soon as you start talking about this it becomes a political discussion and you think capitalism and Marxism and proletariat is that a thing that they talk about all of that stuff Listen, politics are perhaps interesting. And maybe politics play a role in how this stuff gets lived out in the world. But I don't care what your politics are. I don't care if you're a Marxist or a Hegelian or a Keynesian or whatever those... All you economics nerds, it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, you are realizing that you are praying for every hungry person in the world. Because once again that would be a sign that Christ's heart is your heart, that your heart is his, and that you are aligned with his desires. And then your prayer starts to take on a different shape, doesn't it? Gregor goes on to make this great promise. When we pray, we gradually receive a share in God's power. This is kind of a paraphrase. Now that sounds very exciting because if we have a share in God's power, then we can go and do miracles. If I can pray and bring down God's power, who should I heal first? Right? If we have a share in God's power, we can go and do miracles. Rowan Williams says, well, yes, indeed, says Gregory. And here, I'm paraphrasing him, paraphrasing Gregory of Nyssa. You can go and do miracles, Like forgiving your neighbors and giving your property away to the poor. Because that is how God exercises power. I don't want that power. I want the other power. I want the, like, heal somebody power. I want the power that, like, gets you a jumbo jet. I want the power that makes uh, important people become enamored with you. I want the power that's very impressive. I want the power of a miracle. He says, Well, you want a miracle? Forgive your enemies. That would be a miracle. I've met you. (laughs) You want to see a miracle? Give away your possessions to the poor. I saw your bank statement last month. I bought a guitar last month. I haven't yet given it away to anybody. Let's not go any further down that road. But if we have a share in God's power, that is where our prayer will lead, because once again, our hearts and minds are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. The third church father that that Rome Williams refers to is John Cassian, and here's where things get more practical than they have been so far in the chapter, and some of us are breathing a sigh of relief because it will be, maybe there won't be any more demanded of us, maybe finally there's something I can do to pray better, because you haven't been listening so far. (laughs) But there is actually something that maybe you can do to pray better. Here is what Cassian says. Some of you will love this. I happen to love it. Let your prayer be frequent and brief. Anybody else find that a little bit of a relief? <laughs> Let your prayer be frequent and brief. Remember earlier when I compared our desire to grow in prayer to our desire to eat better or to go exercise more? Right? Well, it's May 14th. We've all given up on our New Year's resolutions by now how many of us have had that determination? We think, okay, I haven't been to the gym in six months, but I'm gonna go today. I'm gonna bench press 250 a couple of times. Then I'm gonna um, do an hour on the treadmill. I should be done in time to hit the noon, the noon o'clock spin class. And after that, I'll probably go and drink one of those, what do they, what do they call it, kombucha? Like really healthy stuff like that people drink when they're getting healthy. And by the way, I'm not going to have any refined sugar for the entire calendar year 2017. And that lasts about 45 seconds. You go into the gym and you try to press up 250 and you think, I can't even do half of this once. And then you give up and you go get a donut. Have you noticed there's donut shops right next to every YMCA in the city? <laughs> I have. I <laughs> have. That same kind of pitfall happens to us in the prayer life when we say, I'm going to pray for three hours today. I haven't prayed, I haven't done my five-minute prayer for like 180 days. So I think that works out to three hours. I'm just going to get it done. I'm going to catch up with God. If you try too soon, he says, to spend three hours in intense contemplations, chances are, contemplation, chances are you'll end up with cramps and a lot of distractions which is true because I have tried it. Let your prayer instead be frequent and brief. How can it be frequent and brief if you haven't prayed in so long that you have a big long list of things that you know you need to, you're supposed to, you have to pray about? If you if you stop to pray, you know it's going to overwhelm you. You're just going to be completely buried in all the stuff that you should have been praying about all along and haven't. And you can't pray for that long anyway because you start very intentionally to pray for the problems of our world and the pain of it just becomes completely overpowering. John Cassian recommends that we use the cry of the church as our prayer. Here it is. "O God, make speed to save me. That's it. If you struggle with prayer, write this down. Oh God, make speed to save me. This is the cry of the church. This is a part of, I'm pretty sure it's part of the Anglican liturgy. It uh, might be part of the Catholic liturgy as well. But you can make it part of your prayer. You don't have to be in a liturgical place. You don't have to be in a church. You can say the words, Oh God, make speed to save me. This is all you need to say, Cassian says, and believe me, you will need to say it. You can try this prayer on in all kinds of circumstances. Get called into a meeting with your boss at work. Oh, God, make speed to save me. Get in an argument with your partner, your spouse, your children, your parents, your friend. Oh, God, make speed to save me. Get stuck in a traffic light. Oh, God, make speed to save me. It works flows right out of complaint, right into prayer. (laughs) And if you start to think about it for very long, and if you start to pray it for very long and very many times, I expect that your experience will be similar to mine, which is that you begin to be conformed into the image of Christ and, and your heart and mind begins to be transformed by this type of prayer and you 're suddenly no longer just praying, "God make speed to save me," but you're, 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 somebody will be brought to mind somebody who 's in trouble in a certain way you 'll say, "God, make speed to save them," and suddenly what are you doing you 're doing intercession you 're doing a different type of prayer altogether and and then you 'll be thinking about your family or your your church or your your school or your workplace, and you'll think, oh, we're really going through a tough time. God makes speed to save us. And what have you done? You've turned your individualized prayer into a community prayer. You see how this beautiful, simple prayer can become the cry of the whole church. Oh, God makes speed to save me. It really contains it all. Every prayer is contained in those words. And so, what I want to ask you to do. Uh, we're going to take communion together as we always do. And it's the sacrament of Christ's salvation. It's his body and blood, broken for the forgiveness of your sins, for the salvation of the world, yours and all those around you. And as you come, if you do, and it's okay if you don't. We know that some people are not ready to... to. Um, Declare faith in Jesus, which is what this means. It's an open table, but it does come with a declaration of your intent to follow Jesus. Uh, When you come, if you do, take a piece of the bread and remember Christ's body, which is broken. Dip it in one of the cups, remembering his blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. And as you are holding that in your hand, as you are putting it into your own body, to go into your own bloodstream, as you take Jesus and his body and make it part of yours, Pray that simple prayer, Oh God, make speed to save me. You can, uh, if you wish, go get your kids. If you want them to take communion with you. If not, please go get them after you've taken communion. Once again, there'll be a member of the prayer team at the back of the room who'd be happy to pray with you in person. Dave and Sarah will lead us in some more songs as we take communion. But our table is open. Come if you will. Oh God, make speed to save us. Amen.